Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good night, whatever time of day it is that you're listening. It's afternoon for me right now, sitting down to record episode 21 of the Escape from Society podcast. This is your host, Sam Kulik. I live in New York City, but for most of the month of June, I was out of town. I had a wedding to go to in the Chicago area. And knowing that I was going to spend the weekend there, I had a top priority of seeing a ball game at Wrigley Field. Achieved that. Beautiful sunny afternoon. Watched the Cubs play a very Cubs baseball game against the Marlins, which they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. The second priority I had when I knew I was going to be in Chicago was to do some playing there because I've been to Chicago to play with various rock bands, um, but never, I haven't done any improvising there. And Chicago and improvised music have a rich history together. I'm not going to get all jazz historian on you, but. In a similar way that you can talk about Chicago blues as being a thing, in opposition maybe to um, Delta blues, you can talk about the Chicago school of improvised music being distinct from the European school or a more New York-esque, New York-y school. And school might be the right way to put it because Chicago has long been identified with the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, known as the AACM. And in the 1960s, 70s, they were running a school, an actual school for for young musicians to come in and learn techniques of improvisation and also, not just improvisation, but also of togetherness and community and skills of promotion and other things essential to being a working musician, especially in the creative field as they are. So Muhal Richard Abrams, the pianist, is respected as kind of the grandfather of that scene, but the Chicago improvised music scene has included Anthony Braxton, George Lewis, Wadada Leo Smith, and the musicians you are hearing right now, the Art Ensemble of Chicago. And I meet a lot of people who I think, man, you sound like you were really cool in high school. You sound, and uh, you know, you knew about this awesome music or you were studying this or you were playing at such a level. And man, I really wish I had gotten such an early start, but fact is, I did know about a lot of cool stuff when I was in high school. I just sometimes forget about it. I wore an Art Ensemble of Chicago t-shirt in a lot of my yearbook photos senior year, which, when I think back on it, is pretty cool. The Art Ensemble 
is an incredible group. In the background, we're going to be listening to a, a couple of pieces of theirs that might give you some idea of the stylistic breadth they were working with. Improvised music, soul music, funk music. theme song is called Odwala, and indeed the juice and snack company of the same name is named after the Art Ensemble of Chicago theme song, Odwala. Anyways, the point is, art ensemble or no art ensemble, Chicago is a place that has been respected for generations now as a haven for improvised music. And at the risk of discounting a number of other music scenes, some of which I know about and many of which I don't, Chicago and New York are the two cities in the U.S. that have sort of the largest, most thriving improvised music scenes. And I don't know a whole lot of people personally who are active on the Chicago scene. So I thought, I'm going to be in Chicago. I should try to set something up. There's a venue called The Hungry Brain that I know about. And they have a music series on Sunday nights that I targeted because I knew that would be the place for me to present some music. So anyways, I contacted the person who runs the series, and he paired me with 
three local musicians, Jason Stein, Jason Robke, and John Niekratz, uh, saxophone, bass, and drums. And we got together and made music. I think John and I had actually met before. Possible I had met one of the Jasons before, but we couldn't recall. And anyways, we met on stage and made some spontaneous music. It's funny being in a situation like that, meeting someone musically for the first time, not just personally. Picture yourself meeting someone personally for the first time. Depending on what the context is, you're going to keep certain ideas to yourself, maybe, to be polite certain uh, maybe political opinions or whatever or if the if you if the context is that that stuff is sort of safe for discussion maybe you'll introduce it into conversation and express a little bit more of your personality improvised music is sort of a safe space but it's such a uh, wide world conceptually and there have been many ideologues in the history of the music who think some ideas are appropriate and uh, you know idiomatic for improvisation. Other ideas are not appropriate. So, I mean, something I like about the Art Ensemble of Chicago specifically is they seem to be sort of a everything is good and fair game type of group. I mean, they would play instruments that weren't their primary instruments. They would deal with African music and also deal with kind of country music. And they'd be humorous and they'd be very serious. And they'd do extended techniques and they'd do normal techniques. It's like some sometimes those things I just mentioned are not fair game for a certain set of improvisers. And so since I didn't know the three people I was playing with, there's certain stuff that I've been into lately, such as you know droning and minimalist kind of microtonal stuff like I've done with um, the Western Hemisphere. I like that. I kind of feel like expressing it, but I don't know if that's necessarily going to fly with the other musicians, which, if it doesn't, and they want to do other stuff, maybe the other stuff sounds good as a contrast, and they're not getting upset, they're just like, yeah, this is some cool contrasting thing. But with some people, of course, if you don't do the sort of things that they're doing, maybe they'll get upset. It's... I am... Imagine the musicians uh, among you listeners sort of know what I'm talking about. But it's it's a reason why um, first meeting improvisation, improvisatory music can be very stimulating and why it can also be kind of lackluster. Sometimes people just sort of reach into their bag of tricks and go, you know, go through their own vocabulary and the other new person they're playing with goes through their vocabulary and since you've never met before, that feels fresh. 
but what was nice about this particular gig is that we played for sort of a long time. We did two sets, and so over the span of two sets, got to break things down and expand and, and not just go through uh, our own vocabulary. It turned out to be a very comfortable meeting of uh, musicians and ideas, and people got to express different things and play together and play contrasting and, and do that kind of stuff and not just um, play the hits since we had some some real time to spend playing together we got to go down some um, some of the roads less traveled so that was the hungry brain a few people were there it's a Sunday night regular series that people like the bar I understand why glad I've been there and glad I've done that and glad that I now have a few musicians in Chicago who I've um, made music with and can call upon the next time I'm in Chicago and I want to know what's going on or I want to do some playing with people. From Chicago, I departed directly to London, United Kingdom, London, England, where I met up with not all of Tin Pan. Like I said, I wasn't traveling with a trombone. I This uh, little England Tin Pan tour I was the guitarist for, and I borrowed a guitar in England from a friend um, that I was able to play. So I wasn't traveling with an instrument, so it was very easy for me to pass into the country and say, yes, I'm here on holiday. No, I'm not working. I didn't even have to say, no, I'm not working. It was never asked. I was just here on holiday, got my passport stamped. However, our bassist uh, on this tour was coming from another gig in Copenhagen and he got to the airport in London and was asked what are you doing here? Or he was asked, you know, oh you were coming from Copenhagen, you were working there, can I see your work papers and can I see your work papers for London and sort of without even having opened his mouth to volunteer that he was going to be playing. He was caught up in a lie that he didn't really have to uh, have the the mental agility to execute. Really not his fault. I felt terrible for the guy. Um, In this instance, we were being brought over mainly to play a private party and then Jesse, the band leader, booked some other gigs over the course of a week. To The, the party paid for our flights, uh, but in order for us to 
make a little bit of money, we'd have to do some more playing. So we had a week's worth of gigs to supplement this birthday party thing, which I'll get back to later. But we didn't have a sponsor, we didn't have a visa, we didn't have anything. And to work, you need something along those lines. I don't remember what the actual requirements are. If you're just going to do a few gigs, it's it's possible all you need is like, you know, an invitation from a uh, from a presenter. But maybe you need a visa, which would have been expensive, and I don't know. But the situation was that we were under no circumstances to say we were in the country to work, and uh, and uh, our bassist got caught up at the border, unable to uh, pass that lie through, so he was turned away at the border and sent back to Copenhagen. And his wife was there in London to meet us, and she was going to be hanging, and I mean, it was it was bad. And so then we're in London without a bass player. The other three of us got through all right, and... Um, Jesse went to work trying to locate some people. So there are a number of musicians who we know on the jazz scenes in uh, London and Bristol, where we were going to be. And Jesse made some contacts and got some recommendations and uh, hired a couple of people for these gigs sight unseen. So when we convened in London for the first Show, which was at a fancy cocktail bar called the Night Jar. We had an, a young Italian bassist playing with us who... I didn't really get to know him. I don't know what he's doing in London. I think he lives in London. And uh, anyways, he was not stylistically really up for the gig. I think the type of jazz he plays is maybe a different uh, kind of jazz than what Tin Pan plays. And he was making some choices that were like, hmm, this is a little bit weird for this music. And additionally, um, it didn't have totally the swing that I wanted it to have. In his defense, he's reading charts there's not a good sound situation. He's getting stuff thrown at him from all directions. Me at the guitar kind of sometimes just shouting out chords, follow this. Jesse, uh, you know, giving little hand signals, meaning, you know, this goes on to this part of the song or whatever. So I've been in his situation before and I know how overwhelming it is. But we did have the sense that maybe his instincts were not perfect for the gig. The gig was fairly enjoyable. The It's one of these bars that's like, yeah, we do fancy cocktails and we have this jazz kind of prohibition era scene, but bands are not entitled to cocktails. You can order beer or well drinks or something. Anyways, we won over the crowd and at the end of the night, a few people bought us rounds of cocktails. So I had one with squid ink in it. I don't know, I don't know how that 
might violate my vegetarian principles, but one of my principles of vegetarianism is when there's something so novel and interesting that I've never had, I, I will go for it. You know, if, what, if it's kangaroo or whatever. Um, so I had the squid ink cocktail. That was kind of wild. And we were whisked off in the minivan to our friend Ashley's house. I'll tell you a little bit about Ashley here. He lives in Swindon, which is an hour or so away from London. And he befriended Jesse, not face to face. I don't remember the circumstances of their meeting, but Ashley was like a fan of the band or something, and he was going to be visiting the U.S. or he. Jesse was in London and Ashley was going to drive him around. I forget what the situation was, but they were corresponding over email and Jesse was excited because this person, Ashley, was very excited about meeting him and spending time together. And Jesse, you know, had the idea in his head that, oh, maybe some some cute girl, some real fan of the band, like this could uh, be a nice person to meet. And he's standing on the street corner at the appointed meeting time looking around to see oh which of these cute girls might Ashley be and gets a tap on his shoulder and Ashley of course uh, as you heard the pronoun I was using is a man and he is a just short not exactly portly but short somewhat round British man and Jesse's <laughs> Jesse's like oh Ashley, hi, yes, right, and they became great friends, and I met Ashley last fall when we were playing in Provincetown on Cape Cod, and he came out and hung out with us, and I met him at, again at Jesse's wedding, and we spent all this time, uh, Ashley and Jesse became great friends, and Ashley was our sort of, uh, wasn't exactly our tour manager, and we don't need a translator in the UK, but he sort of filled in as driver, liaison, host. We crashed at his house on several nights during the week. Anyways, that's Ashley. We went back to Ashley's house and spent the night and tour was on. And you can just see now what Kelly the next day we were in Bristol where Stefan's wife's cousin Craig is a saxophone player in town in Bristol and Bath. He's a working saxophonist and has a teaching saxophone school in Bath. So he was sort of our liaison there. And I was in Bristol last year with Banana Bag and Bodice doing the Beowulf show, which was a theater thing. And we were in Bristol for a number of days. So I know the town decently well and there were a few places that I wanted to visit again and Craig uh, acting as tour guide sort of 
had those places in mind too. There's the Isambard Kingdom Brunel designed bridge, which I think was the world's first suspension bridge out sort of to the west of town. And so we went out there and we had a little bit of an afternoon of exploring, but Craig had also set up like a community radio appearance for us. So we appeared on this radio show that afternoon and I was still a little bit jet-lagged and still kind of wanted to do some Bristol things. So I wasn't totally on board with doing this radio appearance, but we did it just trio, no guest bass player, but just Jesse, Stefan, and I. And um, it was like a weird show. The DJ was really excited to have us play, but she was just kind of over the top excited. Like, you know, if I had brought in a little wind-up monkey that plays a drum, you know, she might have been just as excited or... And, and there were there were other acts. It was, it was, you know, some kind of variety show or something. Other acts going into the studio before and after us who were definitely in no way stylistically related to what we were doing, and she was probably just as thrilled about them. Nice, sunny radio personality. Um, but we had two gigs in Bristol, and I don't know that we really needed to... Um, blanket the airwaves to get people to come out to them and if we did if this was even blanketing the airwaves so I I mean a, a trade-off on tour like I always like to have a couple hours of the day to spend by myself just sifting through thoughts and exploring and getting away you know getting some alone time that's something I like about tour and this I, I got that on this tour, but it also, there were several days consecutively where we sort of had two things to do. So on this day, it was like we had the radio show and then we played that night at a bar. And the bar is called The Old Duke and it is a place where I went and had a beer last year with um, when I was there with Banana Bag and Bodice. So I was excited. I was like, yeah, cool, we're going to play at The Old Duke. And... Yeah, it was fine, but it was also like, then we got up the next day, and we went to Bath and did some busking, and then came back to Bristol and played another gig in Bristol, and it's like, yeah, that's maybe a little bit, kind of too much stuff to do. Not a lot of driving, which is good. The distances were short, but it was a little bit overloaded with stuff because especially if you're a little bit jet lagged and you're you know what kind of meals are you having at what times and blah 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 so I could piss and moan about that a little bit the show at the old duke was fine and okay so the bass player we had for that was not the Italian it was a a Bristol local uh, Vicky Tilson and she stylistically was much more in line with what Tin Pan does, and she was a lot of fun to play with. She joined us again uh, our second night in Bristol, which was also a bar, but more of a bar gallery kind of community space, which was 
a more fun show to play. It was it was later. There's no stage. And the difference between these shows was the old Duke on the first night is like it has a stage. It has a bunch of jazz posters on the wall. It's kind of and it's a it's a classic British local pub kind of place. So that feels good, and that feels like kind of traditional jazz setting. You know. the The left bank where we played the following night is more of a more of a DIY punk kind of gallery space, which just att- attracts a different clientele that re- responds to the music in a different way and sort of in a more appreciative way. The old Duke has, what does it have? It has local people drinking there who expect some live music and they expect that it's going to be jazzy. So they're looking forward to like having that ambiance. Whereas the left bank is people who are going there more to see friends and have like a, I don't know, more of a show type experience than a concert type experience if if a show is more of a rock thing and a concert is more of a jazz or you know straight music type of thing suppose if i can note one difference between the old duke which is a bar in as a business and did not offer us any complimentary drinks and the left bank, which is a hangout space by its existence and offered us as many drinks as we wanted. It's like the old Duke wants to make money off of the musicians as if we were customers, whereas in a, in a more community space, we're treated as community members and you know, part of the goings on, you know. Uh, we had fun at both shows. Maybe I preferred the left bank a little bit more. And indeed, we met a bassist at that show who was singing along with some of the songs that we played. And Jesse was talking to him. He's like, oh, you're a bass player and you know these some of these songs that we're doing? What are you doing the next two nights? And... Uh, he was going to be free the next two nights. So his name is Matt. He joined us in Oxford for our two Oxford gigs. For the sake of completeness, I have to back up to the day time in between those two gigs in Bristol where we went to Bath to busk. And Bath is a very busking, friendly town. It's a there are a lot of pedestrians. There are a lot of tourists. It is named for the Roman baths that are there. There's like a you know hot spring or something. And the, when the Romans were occupying, living in that area, they had a big bathhouse, which is now a, a touristy thing. You don't. If you want to go in the water, you don't go to that old Roman place. You do that just as a tourist, but there is like a spa down the street where you can go and do the actual 
bathe in the water and stuff, and I'm sure that's really nice. I'd like to do that someday. As for the busking scene, we didn't do that well. We didn't have the right inside information, which is is that there are sort of designated spots. I couldn't tell how official this all is, but the buskers who are going to be working on a given day kind of all meet up at some place in the morning and like decide on some schedule and they adhere to that schedule which I think allows them to rotate a little bit so if you are two guitarists who sing you can be on this street corner for a few hours and then you can go over by the baths and be in that little promenade for a couple of hours and blah 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 and that seems very fair and equitable we saw you know we encountered and saw some other street performers and it was already mid to late afternoon by the time we got there so we were like not really on the schedule and we went to one place where no one was playing but then people showed up because they had signed up to be there and we had to go to this other place and it was confusing and a bit of a mess and we had the Italian bass player from the night jar the other night back playing bass with us and again it wasn't totally happening with him so uh, it was alright gave us a chunk of kind of walking around change but sometimes it's hard to it's hard to know whether like several hours spent in service of like trying to hunt down a gig that earns you 20 bucks or something is how does that play trading off with you know spending some money and going off and doing something I, I don't know we had a nice afternoon in the bath but it was kind of like yeah all right well whatever go back to bath to busk again try to do it more on the official tip There was one more gig that we did with the Italian before he was fired because he was supposed to do these three gigs in Oxford. And there was a daytime one in a, in a town south of Oxford, I think, called Upton. It's in the, right in the area, Oxfordshire. Uh, that was an afternoon thing. It was like a country fair mountain biking type of thing fifth annual beer tent food tent everybody mountain bikes you know kids adults there are are different little courses you know there's you can do a 20 miler you can do a 45 miler you can do probably a 10 miler or whatever yes they do use miles not kilometers in england and it had rained quite a bit the night before and people coming back from these mountain bike trails were muddy muddy and they had basically had fun but they hadn't all had that much fun but it was a cool scene because there was a little stage set up and i could not believe how good the sound technicians were they had they must have had good equipment and they definitely definitely knew what they were doing so this stage was about a you know four or five foot 
portable stage with a truss and a roof um, and space for monitors and everything you would want. I mean, it was it was very legit, and they had a, a little tent for front of house where they had their, their mixing board, you know, about 40 yards away. And um, the band that played before us was just absolutely forgettable. And it was it's not like I can't remember what they sounded like now. It's like... I couldn't remember what they sounded like while they were playing. They would, you know, they were they were like a rock band. They were a very kind of U2-y rock band. And U2 to me is also just completely forgettable and boring. And it's like, so, you know, intro, verse, chorus, and then I would have absolutely no idea what it was going to sound like when they went back to the verse because I had already forgotten what it sounds like. Ditto when they would come back to the chorus. But technically the band was good and they just sounded absolutely perfect. They could not have sounded any better. And like I said, they were playing before us. So I got excited. I was like, wow, well, we're going to get up there and if nothing else, we're going to sound awesome. That's cool. It's so... Sound man there gave me some confidence for the gig. Had some nice vegetarian chili. Sat out a few. Uh, sat it out through a few rain showers, you know, passing sprinkles thing. But it was basically a nice afternoon. There were some hay bales there. I didn't. I don't think I had a strap for the guitar I was using, so I wanted to be sitting down. So I brought some hay bales up on stage and sat on the hay bales which was great and I loved doing it. But then I noticed I had a sore back the next day. I think I was kind of hunched over in a weird way because I was sitting on the hay bale. But we played and it was all right. And we had already made a band decision to fire the Italian bass player after this gig, which meant the the two sort of better paying gigs in Oxford that night and the next night he was we were firing him from those two gigs so uh, I wasn't around for that I mean Jesse did it just kind of face to face after the show and I guess it didn't go badly you know it wasn't a hard feelings kind of thing it was just a Hey, you know, stylistically, this isn't, you know, this isn't totally working out, and uh, I think we found somebody else. You know, thanks for filling in. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, young guy did us a huge favor by being available for these gigs, and they were paying gigs, of course, yes. So it's like, he worked with us, which I think he felt good at, about. And he was a nice guy. It wasn't personal, um, but it it didn't work out. So that I don't know. That was. Uh, that was kind of a bummer. It is, it is what it is. It's like, it's too bad we didn't have our planned upon bass player. It's too bad the guys, the, you know, this guy we found didn't totally work out. Uh, anyways, the replacement for him was this dude who, like I said, was at our show in Bristol and knew the music and 
just got into conversation with Jesse and it turned out he's a bass player and he was available for the next two days. So unheard, unauditioned, just like the others, uh, he was hired for the two gigs in Oxford, the first one of which was a restaurant gig, one set out in a courtyard where there's like a little volleyball, you know, beach volleyball court. There are all these signs like to get to this courtyard that's like, to the beach, this way, to the beach, this way. And they have this little beach set up in the middle of a stone courtyard that has a volleyball net. It's in a nice area of Oxford. But like, I'm a, I don't have a lot of history with volleyball. There were a couple of summers when I was a teenager where me and all my hometown friends would get together virtually every afternoon and play volleyball for a few hours. And I think we got pretty good at it. I mean, we were playing at a nice competitive level with each other. I've never played organized volleyball. And I see people, like either South or Central American people, play volleyball in New York, and they have a very different style. They use like a smaller and probably harder ball, and so they they carry the ball. You know, they they touch it for too long when they're hitting it, which drives me nuts. It just looks wrong to me. And then here we are in Oxford and like, you know, the Oxford shirt, Oxford University, the like connotation of Oxford that it's maybe gonna be full of like preppy fratty guys. Well, it totally is, even in the summertime when I, I bet the university isn't even in session. So like fratty, preppy, kind of drunk uh, British guys playing beach volleyball, no. They sucked at it, and it made me really mad that they were playing like right in front of us and knocking the ball sometimes in our direction while we were playing. That was that was kind of annoying. So we did one set outside, and then one set inside the restaurant, where um, <laughs> one this like kind of Santa Claus looking guy who might have been pretty drunk at the time sort of came in during the set and like blew a whistle really loudly and caught people's attention. He wound up passing the tip jar for us and stuff. Uh, Stefan talked to him for a while. He seemed like a pretty interesting dude. He was definitely our ally. And the other gig in Oxford, which wrapped up the this little whirlwind tour was the private party that I mentioned. 40th birthday party for a guy who's like a rare books and antique maps dealer. And I assumed it was going to be kind of a party of the century vibe. If he's flying us over from New York to play at his party, he must be laying out some serious cash and throwing a big party. And it really wasn't that. He knows about Tin Pan because he visits New York on a, I think, regular basis and saw us play in Central Park a couple of years ago and took a card or bought a CD or whatever he did and kept in touch with Jesse and said he was gonna book us for the wedding and 
followed through and booked us, I, not wedding, sorry, uh, birthday party, and brought us over for the birthday party. He also hired a local band, and I didn't really like that band. But it, it turned out that the leader of that band was the guy who helped us get some of the gigs we had played during the week. I guess through the fact that we were going to be on this party together and there were probably some logistics emails going back and forth. Jesse asked this guy if he was able to help us uh, find any gigs in England during that week. And I feel like the mountain biking festival and the night jar gig in London might have been ones that he booked that he didn't he had maybe been offered but didn't really want to play himself so he passed them along to us for better or worse I mean there wasn't anything really bad about those gigs um, so we did them anyways so the guy helped us out I, I don't remember the name of his band I didn't I didn't like them they had this like kind of Tom Waitsy vibe and Tom Waits is this catch-all term for stuff that is either like has really a shitty sounding singer or a good singer who sounds really gravelly or stuff that is kind of macabre or stuff that is like sort of jazz barroom influenced lo-fi rock music or I, I mean it's it's a really it's a strange catch-all and I don't know why Tom Waits has become like a genre really because that's I mean it's such it's such a signifier but I don't think Tom Waits has ever had any major crossover commercial success so if you say Tom Waits to somebody I don't I don't know what that actually evokes in their mind. I like some of Tom Waits' music and don't like about as much of it. I mean, so let's let's do a little Tom Waits digression here. We'll listen to some some early Tom Waits where he's like very jazz cabaret-y kind of singer. And then some stuff where he really gets into the gritty voice thing and goes bluesier. Just to show you that there are, you know, there's more than one side to Tom Waits, which makes it weird to use him as a, you know, stylistic signifier because his own music is not totally unified. I've been talking so much. Let's listen to some Tom Waits here. Oh, 
some of that Tom Waits stuff reminds me immediately of Captain Beefheart. Beefheart reminds me of Howlin' Wolf. Although Beefheart, too, is uh, a guy who had a, a couple of different singing voices. There's the very Howlin' Wolf style. And then there's, a, there's another thing that is sort of also his voice. So 
playing in the background here will be a couple of different examples of Captain Beefheart and then some um, Hal and Wolf. I look at her and she looks at me In her eyes I see the sea I don't see what she sees in a man like me She says she loves me Her eyes Yeah, her eyes Her eyes are a blue million miles And then If I get around to it maybe some current Bob Dylan which is a related thing and yeah I'll play a, I'll play a Dylan track that also relates to some Bo Diddley I'll play the Bo Diddley anyways that's what's coming up in the background to finish up the discussion of this 40th birthday party gig I'm about 30 you know my friends are about 30 a lot of 30th birthday parties over the past couple of years so I know what that vibe is a 40th birthday party the main difference is probably the person has a little bit more money to spend but definitely all you know all or almost all of the 40 year old friends are married and have a kid or two so one aspect of this party which was kind of nice was the it was a real family party and it gave it gave it kind of a neighborhood vibe it was in a tent out by a river there was a pig roast there was you know beer and wine and uh i'm sure some of the people who were there were the like you know business wealthy contacts who are into rare books and maps and stuff but mostly it seemed like you know family friends with kids from the neighborhood whose kids go to the same school or something and uh so it was nice it was a nice chill party we played i think three sets alternating with the other band and it was as simple as that one of the absolute highlights of the tour was that Stefan and I walked home from the gig, which was maybe a mile and a half down this country lane back to where our hotel was. And there was a pick-your-own-strawberry patch along the way. So it was about 1 in the morning, and we had grabbed a beer for the road, so we were walking down the, the dark country lane, no lights, no houses, um, just chatting, sipping our beers, and... When we got to the strawberry patch, we went way out into the middle of the strawberry patch and just picked strawberries in the moonlight for about half an hour, which was so fun. It was so awesome to do that. And the strawberries were perfectly ripe and delicious, and that was a great way to end the Tin Pan Tour of England 2014. I didn't go home 
right away. It uh, makes sense for a person in my position to try to capitalize on a free trip to Europe like this and maybe book some other gigs that are not high-paying gigs, but little stepping stone gigs for Escape from Society music, perhaps. You know, try to play a few uh, shows and meet a few people and try to, you know, plant seeds that could maybe turn into an actual Escape from Society tour at a later date. It was very difficult for me to do this. So when we booked my flight, we booked it home from Amsterdam on the Friday following this tour, which ended on Sunday. So I figured a rough itinerary would be take the train to Brussels on Monday, play there, play in like Ghent or Antwerp or Utrecht or Rotterdam or whatever, and get to Amsterdam and play there, play in The Hague. You know, I reached out to people in a number of different towns and nothing, nothing worked. It was, it was weird. I mean, I'm not entirely surprised, but I was kind of surprised that on a couple of months notice, I wasn't able to put something together. I don't have all the right contacts is for sure part of the problem, but also several of the venues I contacted, the, the more official venues sort of had their schedules, you know, they do their programming probably six months in advance or more. So the door was closed on those. But a lot of the less official places were like, oh yeah, we don't do shows in the summertime. Summertime in Europe is like festival season. And people just go to music festivals and there isn't as much local live music happening. And it's during the World Cup maybe and it's like blah blah blah. So I don't know, maybe um, maybe the timing wasn't right. So now I was looking at a few days with nothing really to do. That's fine, take a vacation, of course. And the people I had met in uh, London who I had stayed with when I was in London include some uh, swing dancers and musicians and so sure enough uh, on that uh, maybe Tuesday or something there was a swing dance called Sea Jam in London and uh, I was invited to join the band and uh, play that gig which was a paying gig playing trombone I, you know someone found a trombone for me and I sat in with the band and it was it's actually very pleasant and put some more quid in my pocket which was nice paid for me to get out to Amsterdam and I spent another couple of like actually really nice days in London and then I went to Amsterdam and one one Escape from Society gig had come through, and that was at a place called the Irrational Library in uh, Harlem, which is about a half an hour from Amsterdam. And this is, if you New Yorkers know the place Goodbye Blue Monday, this is like the Goodbye Blue Monday of the Netherlands. 
It's a shop that sells records, vintage clothing, old junk. They have some beers. They have little in-store shows. So this was a little in-store show that like a friend of a friend had helped set up. And uh, this guy, Jan, who lives in Amsterdam. So I was staying with him and, and Jan helped me set up the show and we drove out to Harlem together and I borrowed a guitar and it was a very casual like 5 p.m. in-store show for like you know the store owner and four or five of his music loving friends from town and we all just sat around a table and as you know, because you're a listener to this podcast, if you listen to some of the older episodes about song poems, I have things to say and stories to tell. So I I did the show sort of storyteller style, where I would play a song or two and then talk about this, tell, tell the story of how those lyrics came to me, you know, who sent them in, or if there was a little story behind it. And I covered... You know, played a few song poem covers and talked about some of the people who wrote. Anyways, I got a. It was a lovely afternoon. I mean, these people were very intently uh, listening to what I was doing, even though I was completely out of shape on this material, forgetting words and like not knowing how to play them and stuff, which was a little bit embarrassing. So, wasn't the greatest show in the world, but made good contacts and they loved it and it was totally worth going and the trip to Amsterdam was awesome for other reasons such as going for a long bike ride and seeing a great show by the X and eating cream puffs and that kind of thing. I did some stuff with the rest of the month once I got back to New York. Did a whole week, Monday through Friday, of Tin Pan stuff in Central Park, playing guitar the whole week. Our regular guitarist, Adam, is out of town. So that was okay. It wasn't a great um, money week. I don't know, it's a little bit slow of a touristy season right now. Yeah, so five days on guitar and then the following Monday on tuba because uh, maybe there was no bass player available or, or what, I don't remember. But doing the tuba is fun. I have to bring a bucket, a five-gallon bucket, to the park to sit on, which is... It's about the right height. It was good when I had like a dictionary and a towel to put on top of it. That makes it really the right height. But it's fun to sit there and play tuba. I mean, I don't practice the tuba at home. So this really, when I get to do this, this is my tuba practicing. And so I I really like it. And on that particular day, we had um, Clifton Hyde playing guitar. And he was, he hasn't done a Tin Pan gig in like a year, but... He was probably the longest tenured guitarist and, and 
I don't know if he was the original guitarist, but he originated a lot of the uh, the tunes, the parts, the style that we play. And when I first started subbing with Tin Pan, it was uh, almost always Clifton on guitar. And since I hadn't played with him in about a year, I had forgotten the way he plays a lot of those songs, which is less jazzy, more rock and rolly. There were just the way he does things is cool. There were certain little rhythmic things that I remembered and played, you know, played with. The thing about Tin Pan in the past year as the membership has really been sort of interim everything, different, you know, there's there's like a roster of bass players and a roster of guitar players and a roster of horn players who know the book, but like, it's almost as, it's almost like everybody on those lists knows the songs, but the, um, and the forms, and the, but the, the little detail stuff that when Tin Pan was like a really specific membership, that detail stuff has been sort of lost, and it was nice to play with, with Clifton to remember some of those little rhythm section arrangement details that uh, that were of a past Tin Pan era and maybe a future Tin Pan era also but like you know that that week I said Monday through Friday there, there were like three different horn players during that week and I don't remember how many different bass players might have only been one or two but if we, we're sort of in the habit of not repeating any songs um, during the three sets that we do each day. So if you only have one crack at a song on one day, and then maybe you don't play with that horn player or that bass player again for another week, you're not necessarily going to be like, oh yeah, remember how on this tune be like accent beat two in that particular measure like that's what we should be doing you know it's when you play with somebody day after day then you can build up stuff like that and that's not the way the band is functioning right now for better or worse i i mean i think it is better when you can have that but on the other hand the band can't work every day if it's going to be the same for musicians because um people have too many other conflicts you know it's kind of by necessity that other people are being brought in uh so yeah did one on tuba and uh the only other gig this month was saturday evening rooftop mitra sumara gig which meant that all what is that all seven of the gigs i played after coming back to the uh, states. Six of them were in the park. One was on a rooftop. They were all outdoors. I was wearing sunglasses for all of them. And uh, this rooftop party, we, we played it last year. It's where I met the guys in the Dirty Water Dogs, actually. They played that party also last year. And um, so this year it was Mitra Samara again. And I didn't I don't think I had an address 
to the building, but it's in Ridgewood. I remember basically where it was, and it the building has this like castle molding. It's the Ridgewood Times building. The Ridgewood Times newspaper was what this building was built for, but now it's just uh, condos. So I just went to where like the building was approximately and looked for castle molding, and it was weird. There were like three or four buildings within a few blocks that had this like castle molding on top so I didn't find it right away but I did find it as I biked around and I was the first person there everybody else in the band was coming like via car and had some you know terrible problem where they didn't know how to get there or uh, they had car trouble or poor Jim like when he was loading his keyboard into the car like his apartment key broke off in the lock so then he couldn't get back into the apartment and Jim doesn't have a cell phone so he's like at the payphone calling his girlfriend to be like ah that cheap keyboard that's at your house like I need to come borrow it so he was playing some like cheap keyboard and you know $99 keyboard instead of $3,000 Nord um, that actually worked out fine. But what I'm saying is analog, people. I rode my bike. I got there first. Even though I thought I was going to be late because I left kind of late. Really fascinating. We played on the rooftop. This is one of those songs that's kind of new to our repertoire. And I'll just let it play out. I didn't like it at first because I don't like this recording very much, but I actually really like the song now. It's kind of neat. So enjoy that. That was the month of June. Gigs out of town and in town. See you again soon.
کنار کشیده ندونم 